Yesterday, 21 people, including children, were injured and one person killed in a mass shooting at the end of the Chiefs' championship parade. Today, we'll speak with fans, broadcasters, and politicians who witnessed the events firsthand. Later, we'll offer ways for how we can all move forward after such a senseless tragedy. It was a day of jubilant celebration under clear skies that brought people together from all corners of the metro and even beyond, only to end in sprays of bullets that spread panic and tears. One of the best days in Kansas City history turned unspeakably ugly and now ranks as yet another national disgrace. Last night I spoke with Chastity Lodgson, who originally is from Salina, Kansas, but today lives near Louisville, Kentucky. A lifelong Chiefs fan, she drove eight hours to attend the celebration and was with her mother and children only to witness the mass shooting just a few feet away. A nurse, she rendered aid to a man who was gravely wounded by a gunshot to the head. Cassidy, thank you so much for joining us in what I'm sure is a difficult moment for you and your family. And I should caution our listeners that many of our conversations today could be triggering. Chastity, again, welcome to Up to Date. Thanks for asking me to do this. I can't help but wonder how you're holding up. I'm like really shook right now. Um, I mean, so many things were going through my head at the time, like get my babies out of this area. Go, go, just go. And then the other part is that, you know, you're seeing a ton of people laying on the ground, you know, around you. And you're like, I mean, this is what I was built to do, right? Like, this is what I do every day. Mm. And so I'm like, I just dropped this chair bag that I had that I was like picking up because, well, I was like, well, I'm done because I'm tired. I drove all the way from Louisville, Kentucky <laughs> to come to this because next year my kids, my kid is going to be in kindergarten and I can't take him out of school for a week to come. So I wanted to do it to make memories with my boys. Right. Cause you know, growing up, I'm, I've been the biggest chiefs fan my whole entire life. Mm -hmm. And like, God, well, um, well I'm just assuming so, chastity in that moment, you were really conflicted. You were there with I, how many children do you have? I have two, I have two, I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old. So you're there with them. The shots ring out. You see people on the well, ground. First, and... Okay, so yeah. So at first, I thought that it was. It was the end of the. Most of them were leaving, going off the stage of the parade. You know. Right. So I hear pop, 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 and I was like, "Oh, somebody's setting off fireworks." You know. Mm -hmm. And then I hear people get down, get down, get down. It is not fire. And I'm like, oh, man, I don't know. It's probably just a little bit later. I was I was like telling my my oldest niece, who's 14, and my my seven, my 10 year old niece, go, go, go. And they're crying like my older niece is like crying. And my littlest, my 10 year old niece is like she's really crying. Mm -hmm. And she's like, um, I was like telling her and my mom has is 71 years old. And she has arthritis really bad. So we were walking and she was pushing my, my three-year-old in, in a stroller. And I just told them, go, go ahead. I mean, I see somebody, someone like laying on the ground and I can't, I mean, I can't pass that up, you know, like. So you dove I in to help out. Yeah. I mean, I literally walked over there. Um, I said, where where was he shot? She said in the head, his girlfriend or whoever it was. And I said, okay, I laid down on, I sat down on the ground and I literally couldn't feel a pulse. So I started compressions. I mean, as I'm trained to do, that's somebody, someone, I can't just stand by and like not help. And so I literally did compressions is I mean I don't think I did very good compressions honestly I was like so shook hmm. and I'm still shook I can't name how many times I cried coming home hmm. and I met some guy in the after I had walk away when the medics got there I was like she's like move 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 I'm a medic I said 
I'm a nurse. And she said, oh, oh. And I said, but you can take over. Like, mm-hmm. I, I need to go check on my family. And so I went to the parking garage. And, well, we made it to the parking garage. And some nice guy carried my son in the stroller down the stairs in the parking garage. His name was Hunter. I asked him for his name. He said, mm-hmm. my name's Hunter. I was like, okay. I was like, thank you so much for helping. He's like, I'm really just trying to get everybody in a safe area and get out of here. I was like, same. I totally understand. (laughs) And how was your family when you reached them, Chastity? Well, they were like standing there watching me do compressions. Mm -hmm. And I kept telling them, go, 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 like, go away. How did your five-year-old and your three-year-old, how did they process what they saw you doing? Um, My five-year-old, he's he just kind of was like, just shooting her, and are they going to be okay? Mm-hmm. And my three-year-old, he, I don't think he really understood what was going on. And I was like, my five-year-old, we went and ate dinner after we got home and my five-year-old was asking questions and he's like why did why did they shoot people Hmm. and I said you know honey sometimes people just do bad things you know and I don't have an answer for that why they did it so clearly he was trying to process all this as well then yeah do you know anything about what happened to the man after the medics arrived and you uh, backed off? No, I never, I didn't, I didn't um, hear anything. I know that one, the one that was dead, I figured that the he was maybe dead because a head wound, I can't imagine, would. Well, I'm so... talking to you shortly before 9 o'clock on Wednesday evening, and at this point, um Various media outlets are only reporting that one person has died. Has died, yeah. And that was a woman, so. Yeah, yeah, I know. So I do know when I got up and the medics were like, they took over, they were doing compressions. So that's what I do know. Mm -hmm. So So. you got back in your car and then you drove back to Salina this evening? Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. How was that drive for you as you, as, that's a long trip? Um, I mean, I'm still processing it, to be honest with you. And I just keep playing over in my head, like, what if I was doing stronger compressions? What if I was, what if I stayed past the time that the medics got there? You know, that's, that's really it. That's a lot to think about, isn't it? Yeah. This wasn't the day that you were expecting when you came to Kansas City with your kids and your mom today. No, it's not. I grew up as a Chiefs fan. I mean, I I remember being eight years old and asking my mom to make me a Chiefs cheerleading outfit. And so I really just wanted to give my boys, like, an experience of like what I loved growing up, you know? Yeah. That's really it. Well, that's Chastity Lodgson again, originally from Salina, Kansas. Uh, She spoke to us on Wednesday evening from Salina where she's staying with family today. She lives near Louisville, Kentucky. She was on the scene helping render aid uh, this afternoon when uh, bullets rang out uh, at the parking garage behind Union Station. Chastity, I appreciate you uh, telling us your story. Thanks so much. Yeah, no problem. Um, And just... Just let everybody know to hug their families tight, their kids tight tonight, because whenever you go to something like this, you never thought, you never think that something like that could happen. Right. Thanks so much and uh, all the best. Take care. Same. Same to you. Thank you.
KSHB anchor Kevin Holmes was reporting live from Union Station when the shooting started Wednesday afternoon and was forced to take cover. KMBC anchor Chris Katz was anchoring from the station when the bedlam began. Both anchors then landed, uh, then helped lead their station's coverage of a day that flipped upside down in a hail of gunfire. Kevin Holmes, welcome back to Up to Date. So good to have you here. Hey, thanks for having me. Chris Ketz, always good to have you too. Welcome Steve, back. Yeah. yeah, good to be here. Kevin, you were co-anchoring live from Union Station, as I said, with Caitlin uh, Canute when the shooting took place. Tell me how you and Caitlin responded. Um, well, I think the first was kind of, we were wondering exactly what was happening. Yeah. You know, um, there, there were uh, successive gunshots, about three or four. One of my crew members said they heard four I only heard about one or two at first, and I think some of that is we have these noise-canceling headphones on so that we can hear mm-hmm. the person next to us. And, um, you know, we were doing highlights from the parade that just ended in celebration. Uh, we were a stone's throw from the stage, probably less than half a football field away from the stage, when uh, we saw just a panic. And earlier, some people had jumped the fence, and we thought maybe, you know, they were just having some a little too much fun jumping the fence. But right. The way they were moving just said that something was wrong, said there was some sort of panic. And we were just trying to discern exactly what was happening. And we were just literally, you know, one of the first rules of journalism, see something, say something. We we were just trying to tell people what we were seeing, what we saw. And it wasn't until we saw a second round, a second flurry of, uh, of, of, of people rushing out of Union Station, the doors there, and we saw uh, a lot of activity of, of officers with long guns drawn rushing in and yelling that we knew something was wrong and that we were in uh, uh, possible imminent danger. So we literally tried to take send things back to the studio and, and we took cover in front of our, wow. our news desk. Uh, then we heard another gunshot, which, I mean, our guesstimate is that it was probably about 30, 40 yards away from where we were. Wow. Well, Chris Ketch, you were co-anchoring live with uh, Bria Berry. How did you first start to get the word of what happened uh, back at the station there? Well, I, I, since we have Kevin on Zoom, I have to ask Kevin, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, brother, man. I appreciate you. You know, it was a long day. Um, and and <laughs> I, I think we always say, uh, like I said last night, it was one day that I would never forget. And it, it was originally because it was a great parade. Now it's because it was tragedy. But all this, all this as well as can be. We're, we're all covering and recovering and re- regrouping at 41. Our people had the same experience that Kevin did. Uh, Laura Moritz and Lynn Jennings, um, who were with us in Las Vegas for the Super Bowl and and uh, at the parade. I think Kevin and Caitlin were probably a little bit closer because of, of their station's association with the Chiefs. So they were they were inside the line, sort of. But we weren't all that far away. And, and um, Laura and Lynn didn't know immediately what was going on for the Mm. same reason Kevin and Caitlin did, because they were wearing headphones. And so that cut some of that immediate noise. But it was our photographer. And um, in a a situation like this, we always hire um, outside security to to protect our crews. And it was was our security people who, who were retired law enforcement who said to Lara and to Lynn, that's gunfire. It's not really it's not fireworks. That's gunfire, and there were also, as as time went on, there were moments where Len and Lara, and, and at that point, we're just we're we're doing what security and every police are telling us to do, and I know there were moments uh, in the middle of our coverage where Len and Lara were were told to get down, and, and they did. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I I think I think Kevin's experience and I think our experience are, are quite similar. In in the earliest of, of moments, we knew something was wrong, but we just, we didn't know what. Yeah. You know, what strikes me about moments like that, Kevin, and I watched your coverage uh, from my perch up at UMKC yesterday afternoon, is how cautious you have to be with the information you're dispensing. You can only tell your viewers, your audience, what you know, and you have to be clear about what you don't know. Tell me how you sort of process and go through that, those moments when it's so difficult to uh, only inform people of, of what you know and, and stay away from going too far. Well, you know, we, we try to have a rule, uh, and I think it's a general rule of journalism where you try to make sure you, you at least have your facts 
checked by two credible sources. And I had at least one at all times kind of helping me out along the way, trying to keep me safe and give me information that I knew. And some of which was indeed fact, uh, you know, like the one death and, 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 and several people shot taken to Children's Mercy. Um, but you just don't know for sure. You know, your mother says she loves you. Make sure you check it twice before you report it on the news. Right. <laughs> Last thing you want right. to do is be wrong and, and give you that extra bit of information that'll uh, cause even more of a panic or more of a flurry. It's, 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 it's our job, even if on the inside we aren't all the way calm, to try and be that voice of calm and deliver it to you so, so that you have what you need to know. So that was kind of the, the difficult line we were towing because there was some information that, you know, we knew early on, but we just couldn't really say until yeah. we checked because there's a there's a chance it could have just been somebody spreading some rumor, you know. Chris so, Ketz. Uh, that was kind of the fine line. Chris Ketz, you were back at the studio. You had to be really careful, too. How, how do you deal with those moments? Uh, if you've been a, a reporter in this town for any length of time, um, you develop sources, and many of those sources um, are in law enforcement. And I had, I had people... Uh, texting me as as I was on the air with information that ultimately turned out to be uh, spot on. So um, we knew in our newsroom uh, we were getting a much quicker sense of the enormity of this tragedy. Uh, but this was also before we reported it. You know, there's a difference between what you know, as you, well, I'm preaching to the choir here, to Steve Kraske, but there's a big difference between what you know and what you're told and what you feel comfortable reporting. Yeah, right, right. And, yeah. and I'm sure Kevin was in the same situation uh, that, um, that trusted sources are telling us, no, this is bad. Mm-hmm. And, and we were getting those same signs and we were getting those same messages. But before you can take that leap and report it on the air, it has to go through a, a, a vetting process and a verification yeah. process, and, and we all do that. Hey, how, how do you do that at Channel 9? What, what does that vetting process look like? You've got editors weighing in, exactly. other reporters <clears throat> weighing in. And, all, of, all of the above. Yeah, what do we know? All when, of the above. How do we know it? Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Kevin, you too, you were live at the scene. Again, how are you vetting that information to make sure you know what you know? Um, text messages back to the news desk and uh, – Emails, phone calls, uh, just trying to go through our sources together before we reported on there. Yeah. You know, um, how many reporters uh, and, and camera crews did you have down at the rally, uh, Kevin Holmes? Uh, we had at least 12 vantage points, and I believe uh, just about each and every one of them was manned with a reporter. Uh, I think we had somewhere between 10 and 15 uh, reporters along the route, and, you know, we had uh, our morning anchors at the start of the parade, and Caitlin and I along with our sports director, Mick Schaefer, at the end. Yeah. But you don't have anybody back by the parking garage where this shooting supposedly began, right? I mean, you wouldn't have people back there. No. Yeah. We, we did not. We did not at, during that time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, how do you think uh, th- this city will come to regard this day, Chris? I mean, you know, I think someone mentioned here this, you know, it was a, the greatest day and it was the most awful day, all wrapped up into one one package. Um. It might be a little too soon for me to answer that question, but I'll, I'll take a crack at it. I, I um, as someone who has been a homeowning, taxpaying citizen of Kansas City, Missouri for 30 years and has lived in this area for 40, um, I always took a, a fairly high level of pride in the fact that whether it was the 2015 World Series parade involving the Royals or the, or the three Super Bowl championship parades and rallies in the Mahomes, Kelsey, Andy Reid era, um, I always took um, a a high level of pride in the fact that the worst it got around here was a drunk falling out of a tree or somebody riding a horse, okay? right. Well, we can't say that anymore. Mm -hmm. And how we move forward as a city, I I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball on that one. We we will, um, but... Just what that looks like right at the moment, I'm not 100% sure. I'm a little hesitant to uh, go out on a limb on that one. You know, Kevin Holmes, it's not lost on me that there was a big chunk of the Kansas City Metro uh, that yesterday experienced what so many folks experience on a regular basis who live east of Troost Avenue. I'm wondering, how are you, how do you think people are are thinking about all that today? You know, I, I, I think 
the difference here, though, no matter geographically where you are, you don't expect it to happen in such a celebratory moment. You don't yeah. expect it to happen at the at the epicenter of all things good in Kansas City. Uh, of you know, whenever there's a celebration, whenever there's a major announcement, whenever there's a huge gathering of sorts that that's worthy of news coverage, it often happens at Union Station. You know, it, I, I always say at KCI's front door. Union Station is the living room, and you don't expect <laughs> something to happen in your own living room. And I, I think that's what's most jarring about this. Uh, to, 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 to both of your points, it was the best day and the worst day at the same time. Uh, it, it literally started off as a day I'll never forget, back-to-back championships for the first time in 20 years and celebrating a team that is worthy of such, and it ended with a day I'll never forget because – Instead of delivering the news, I became part of it by having to take cover and new phoners as as as, as police trying to find a gun a gunman. Um, I think we will be better. I, I I truly believe in my eight years here. I've heard of kind, but I think Kansas City kind is a whole different level. And I, I'm Asian in the days and weeks to come. Yeah, you know the other thing that strikes me, Chris Katz, is this idea that you as an anchor have to compartmentalize all these emotions that certainly are going through your head in moments like that as you're watching this thing unfold, and yet you still have to be able to report what's going on. You're a veteran at this. You've been doing it for a long time, but does it is it ever easy? It, it gets harder as I get older. Yeah, I was think we were talking about that before. <laughs> it, it, it gets harder for me, it, too. It, it really does, because at the end of the day, um, you know, we're all— we're all members of this community. We all have families. We all have kids. Yeah. Uh, we all celebrate in in the good things uh, that that Kansas City is is all about. And uh, yesterday was supposed to be one of those days. Yeah. And again, Kevin, as we've been talking about, you were right in the middle of it. How, how do you compartmentalize what you were dealing with yesterday? Uh I think first and foremost, yesterday I realized my duty was to to get get as much info out as I can to the public. Um, my drive home was very reflective. Uh, my morning today will be such. Um, I don't really have an answer yet as to how how, how I'm compartmentalizing. I think I'm still processing. You know, uh, after something, it, it's still less than twenty four hours away yeah. uh, from. from when it happened. Still processing. You know, gentlemen, uh, the, the news goes on. I don't need to tell either one of you that. You know, today's a new day. Lots more stories to follow up on here. But again, there's some trauma associated uh, with this for all of us. Does the station, I mean, yeah, it, it, well, I, how do they help? The, the, we're owned by Hearst Television, uh, part of the Hearst Corporation, and, and Hearst is really good about stuff like this. And, and huh. those wheels started turning within Hearst Television um, long before we came off the air yesterday. And, wow. and we, we will we have people available today. Um, as I say, that, 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 that just, that's, that's just what we do. Kevin, do you have the same kind of help over at 41? Yeah, same. I mean, we, 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 have, we have Zooms and phone calls we can make today. We have actual counselors coming into the TV station on Friday. Uh, I've had several organizations that I'm a part of also uh, volunteer their services as well. And and honestly, I, I send that to managers and they may take advantage of that as well. Well, I appreciate you both coming in on such a big day after a big day. That was uh, KSHB anchor Kevin Holmes, KMBC anchor Chris Katz. Gentlemen, thank you so much for thank, thank sharing you, your thoughts with us today. Kevin, take care. Hey, appreciate you. Thank you. Meantime, Missouri State Representative Ashley Ani, uh, who represents part of Kansas City's Northland, was at Union Station yesterday when the shooting occurred. Jackson County First District Legislator Manny Abarca was also there. Both of you, thank you for taking time to share your experiences. Appreciate it very much. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having me. Well, Representative Ani, uh, you were at the parade yesterday with a group of bipartisan elected officials. Where were you when, when gunfire broke out here? So I was in the um, main hall corridor of the of Union Station when everything went down. I was I was in the restroom with um, a fellow lawmaker Emily Weber, mm-hmm. and um, she and I were asked to uh, stay in there. There were people who were blocking the doors, not letting people in or out. My husband was waiting outside, and he was um, ducking behind um, a, a makeshift sort of stage um, and and trying to calm folks around him. 
Could you hear the gunshots from where you were? I couldn't, no. Did your husband hear them? Uh, he thinks he may have, although um, there's some confusion about whether or not it was fireworks or gunshots. There was so much going on. What was going through your mind at that moment when you were told to sort of uh, stay in place there? Well, I was terrified, obviously. Um, I immediately came out of the stall and found my friend Emily, and we uh, hunkered down behind um, the the... Um, a wall. And uh, I immediately texted my husband and I was getting a flood of texts. And I I was, uh, my husband spent 10 years in the military and he's someone who I trust more than anyone else in the universe on security matters. And so I I trusted him when he told me, come out of the bathroom. I trusted him when he told me, I think you should stay in the bathroom (laughs) uh, first. And so um, I eventually came out and when we, we, just I, I came out to to chaos, chaos. People was, had flooded into the building, and people were running around. You were in the great hall there, I assume. Right. I assume that's where the players were and coaches. And am I right about that? I didn't see any of them, yeah, but I, I have no idea. We were yeah. we were actually stuck in there. There was no exit for us um, mm-hmm. out of that hall except for the main one in. And so at one point we had there was folks around me pleading for law enforcement to address the locked doors um, so that we had an escape plan. Um, And and it was it was just chaos. Well, Legislator Abarca, you were in Union Station, too, with your daughter. Describe what that was like. Again, the word terrifying comes to mind. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it went from confetti catching to um, fleeing for our lives. Um, I was on the other side of uh, a curtain uh, to the eastern side of the building with the players, with the coaches, uh, with the Hunt family. Uh, and uh, it was a staging area. We were transitioning to get back onto the buses to head to Arrowhead as sponsors. Uh, the county um, had several folks there, uh, as well as the city council. And so we were surrounded by elected officials uh, and folks who were there to celebrate. Um, and then uh, it wasn't no more than five minutes that we were in there after the ceremony had wrapped um, that all of a sudden I heard commotion. I heard screaming, and through the awning comes uh, hundreds of people running for their lives, Mm. uh, yelling and screaming, guns, they're shooting, call the police. Um, And I saw people falling. I saw people getting trampled. And at that moment, I realized uh, my little 35-pound daughter had no chance without me picking her up. So I grabbed her in my arms. I ran into Pierpont's. Uh, I saw uh, Mrs. Hunt there pleading for her daughter to come with her. Mm. I saw Coach Andy Reid, players rushing into the restaurant. Uh, It's a place that I'm sure you know well. I knew that there was a downstairs. And so I went straight downstairs and found a bathroom um, that I thought maybe had a lock that I I, I could hide in place. That's what it came down to, you yeah. running for your life literally there. Literally. Yeah. Um, what's going through your mind this whole time, Manny, as, you're, as you're, you're going through all this? I mean, you're just thinking about survival, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it set into what was happening. I mean, I, I, it's it's amazing how you rush towards there's a problem over there. It could have been a dinosaur. I had no idea what was happening. But by the time I got to the landing, going down to the basement of Pierpont's, I realized I'm in an active shooter situation. Uh, this could mean life or death. I understand you knew Lisa Lopez Galvin, who was killed in the shooting yesterday, Manny. Who was she? Tell us about her. Lisa was an incredible soul. Um <sighs> I oftentimes sit across from her like a desk like this and watch the beaming smile of hers uh, cower over uh, as we talked on her radio show. Um, She is a local legend uh, and will now live in infamy uh, because she's a cultural icon to us in Kansas City. She's at all the fiestas. She's regularly volunteering her DJ services at community events. Um, Her legacy will be missed. Well, Representative Ani, you know, obviously I'm talking to two elected officials here who represent the people of Kansas City. How is this event going to impact the way you approach your job down in Jefferson City? You know, I, I was a Moms Demand Action volunteer before I was elected to public office, and this is the this is the gun right. gun control yeah, group. Yeah, right. We we focus on implementing common sense gun legislation across right. the country, mm-hmm. and um, this incident will not affect how I go forward other than being maybe louder than I have in the past. But I have always been focused on promoting um, and implementing common sense gun legislation in this state. Uh, I think that our caucus is uh, has the Democratic caucus, I should say, right. has more um, 
more passion than ever before. So many of us were there yesterday. Uh, and many of our bipartisan colleagues, many of our Republican colleagues, I saw a colleague who was frantically searching for his wife and daughter because they had no communication. Um, mm. That kind of trauma sticks with you. And I, I really, I am devastated that we all went through it. But I genuinely, genuinely hope that my colleagues on the other side of the aisle took what happened yesterday seriously and reevaluate reevaluate how they approach common sense gun legislation in our state. You know, Governor Mike Parson was also there, a Republican. He very much is for uh, favors gun rights. And I'm wondering, how hopeful are you? How confident are you that uh, some sizable chunk of the Republican majority in the House might rethink their positions here? I'm not hopeful. In fact, um, you know, the only solution to this is electing more Democrats in Missouri, full stop. That's the only way things will change. Republicans have had a supermajority in our state. They have been running everything for 20 years. That is why we are where we're at today with our very lax gun laws. It's why they continue to pass unconstitutional measures like the Second Amendment Preservation Act, which was struck down by the courts as unconstitutional. Um, And it's why we continue to be able to sell ammunition to children in our state. Um, There are so many things we could be doing better. We could have red flag laws. We could have uh, universal background checks. So many things. But we're not doing that. And we won't do that until there are more Democrats who are making the rules. I know it's early. This incident only happened yesterday. You are here in Kansas City, not in Jefferson City today. But do you have any sense of how Democrats might begin to approach this issue now going forward in in the days to come? Yeah. Well, you know, like I said, Democrats have had a plan long before the shooting took place. Uh, This year alone, our caucus has filed dozens of bills to address gun violence. uh, And that number is probably, uh, you know, going to... uh, to increase next week when we all get back down to Jefferson City and take an even closer look at at what we should be doing. Um, You know, our caucus has pleaded for any action to be taken to promote common sense gun safety, and Republicans refuse to even entertain these these proposals. In fact, last year in my committee, I heard a a law that would prevent our state from enacting a red flag law if the United States federal government enacted one. Manny Arbarca on the Jackson County Legislature, what can you do? Uh, first off, I, I told uh, Ashley out in the in the lobby. I said, "Well, it's probably going to end up in a lawsuit from us suing you." And she, we laughed because I think it's those types of opportunities that will really apply necessary pressure. But, Help me understand: you would sue the state because yeah. So uh, preemption was the first thing that I got back when I asked the general counsel, "I need policy now. I need policy on my desk Monday." And they said, "Well, the state." And I said, "I don't care about those excuses. I want to hear policy. I don't care what the legality says. Preemption may do." I want that policy on my desk. I want to send a clear message to Jefferson City that in this county, this legislator is going to act. And if that means we're preempted, then be prepared for a lawsuit. And I think it's those types of actions that local elected officials can take um, to show that th- we're not we're not playing with this issue. And I left the building after knowing that we were safe. And I was talking to Republicans, Democrats, state reps, council members who all agreed the same thing. What about this notion, Manny, that as I asked uh, Chris Katz and um, Kevin Holmes a few minutes ago, this idea that there was a sizable chunk of Kansas City that got a bird's eye view of what uh, guns can do uh, in a situation like that. This is something that many of your constituents deal with every single day, and yet a lot of us don't deal with it, this kind of tension over guns. What about that? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, that's a very good point. Unlike other mass situations, you have not captured the governor, the governor of two states in this situation, uh, state reps, county officials, city officials, and then tens of thousands of people who were there present who ran for their lives, whether they were from Odessa, Clay County, Cass County. These folks were fleeing for their lives away from a gun. We have the control of that. As Ashley said, we can elect different leaders and we should. Ashley, uh, what are you hearing from your constituents about all this today? You know, folks, there were so many people who were down there yesterday. So many people in my community in Platte County came down to celebrate. Um, and and what I'm hearing from people is desperation. People in my community are 
desperate for change on this front. They really are. I've heard it on the doors when I knock doors every cycle. I'm a gun owner myself, and I'm so tired of hearing the right talk about how the left wants to take away our guns. I don't want my own guns taken away any more than I want yours, but I do want to live in a community where we take the responsibility of owning firearms seriously, and I want to live in a community where I can feel safe to celebrate the team that I love with children, with elderly adults, with my friends, with my neighbors, and feel safe. That's Missouri State Representative Ashley Awney. Again, she represents part of Kansas City's Northland. Jackson County First District Legislator Manny Abarca also joined us. Thanks so much for sharing your views. Appreciate it very much. Thanks for having us. Thank you. After a short break, we're going to come back and talk with an expert about how to talk to your kids about what happened yesterday. And we'll also visit with a pastor about what uh, her message was yesterday evening. I'm Steve Kraske, and you're listening to Up to Date on KCUR 89.3. We'll be right back. And we're back. You know, when a mass shooting event transpires like the one yesterday outside of Union Station, it can be incredibly hard to find the words to help children cope. Joining us now to explain how we can talk to our kids about yesterday's tragic event is Amanda Davis. She's the director of therapy services over at St. Luke's Crittenden Children's Center. Amanda, welcome to the show. Good to have you here. Thank you, Steve. Well, mass shootings are incredibly jarring for just about everybody, but how would a parent even begin to handle discussing something like this with their child? Yeah, I think the most important thing as you start as a parent is to make sure that you're in a place to have that conversation before you start it. So Meaning? making sure that you take a deep breath, that you are at a place where you feel like you can be about as calm as you can be given the circumstances because your kiddo is going to take their cues from you. So it's so important that you are in, in a prepared place. You say that people who were physically injured at the event will have to recover both physically and mentally, but it... You know, it often takes much longer to recover mentally. Elaborate on that, if you would. Yeah. So what we know about the effects of of trauma in the brain is that it really varies per individual. Um, And so it's not quite as straightforward as maybe a medical injury might be. Um, and that it really depends on how it was experienced by that individual. And when we talk about children, we know that their age makes a huge difference um, because our brain is still developing. And so they're at different stages of development. And as their brain continues to grow and mature, they will understand the events in a different way. And so it's something that may come up over and over again. Are there some generalities here? Do kids who are younger, do they tend to bounce back mentally more quickly than kids who are a little bit older and know a little bit more? Uh, It really depends on the kiddo and on their past experiences. So one of the things we know with younger children who have had trauma is oftentimes the impact is actually stronger the younger they are Mm. because their brain is, um, it's not as developed yet. It's more of a kind of that blank slate idea where um, it's it's a much much larger percentage of their experiences, um, if you think about it that way. And oftentimes they don't have the words to tell us the story of what happened. Um, And so we tend to think they don't remember and there's not much impact. But actually the opposite is true. Um, It still has a very strong impact in actually the formation of their brain and how their brain is built to work going forward. So if you're a mom or dad of a child and you were down at the station yesterday when all heck uh, broke out there, what would you do today? Would you wait for your child to raise the issue? Would you be a little more... Uh, uh, would you get out in front of it? What do you recommend? Yeah, I would definitely recommend if you were there, then clearly your child experienced something, right? And so I think the very first step is to just bring it up kind of casually in a calm moment. Uh, If you have older kids, the car is a really great place because you're not directly looking at each other and people tend to be more comfortable talking about difficult topics. Um, But really checking in with them to see what did you see? What did you hear? And how are you feeling about that? And that's a really good place to start because our experience as an adult is going to be really different than our kiddos was. So we want to know what their experience was. I was thinking one thing that might complicate this is sort of social media. Uh, Older kids certainly are going to be trolling and looking around at, at seeing different things. And that might impact when you go to your child and have this conversation, I assume. Yes, definitely. Um, That's one of the reasons that we want to ask what they know, because we may not know what they saw on social media. Um, And it may be uh, completely false. 
Um, but it also might be very true and have been very graphic. So we really want to start with what was their experience and what they know so that we know where to go from there. So kind of open-ended questions, let them talk a little bit about mm-hmm. what they're thinking and experiencing. Exactly. And know that if they're, especially if they're younger children, they may not tell you much at the time. It may be a two-minute conversation. It will probably come back um, in the next following days or weeks or months. Um, little children tend to uh, digest trauma kind of like taking a, a bite of a cookie where they do like one bite at a time. They just process what they can and then new things will pop up. So if the, if the child just talks for a couple of minutes and then clearly wants to move on, you would let that happen, it sounds like. Oh, yeah, definitely. Don't don't force it. No, don't force it. Let them move on. Let them go play, do their normal activities. And that doesn't necessarily mean they don't have more to say or more to think about. But that is also how kids process things. So they may give you a couple of sentences and then go play a game that maybe has some themes around safety or connection. There's one point I wanted to really underscore here. From what I've read about this is it's really important to emphasize that even kids who weren't there can be deeply impacted by the events of yesterday here. And that's something that parents need to grapple with here. That is very much true. Um, And that's part of why you ask them what they've heard. All of our kids are going to school today. And I guarantee you almost every school, there will be some kind of conversation happening. Um, And so we want to check in and see what they've heard and how they interpret that affecting them. Um, I'll tell you for my own kiddos, because I had that conversation with them last night. Um, They were not at the parade, but we talked about it knowing. How how old are they? They are um, 10 and almost 8. Okay, so impressionable ages. Yeah. 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 And, um, you know, my 10 year old, we just kind of talked about it very matter of factly. She's had an experience like this before. Hmm. Um, And so she kind of related it back to that. My um, almost eight year old's response was, well, I think I just won't go to parade so I can stay safe. And so that was his way of of dealing with it was saying, you know, I'm going to do this to keep myself safe in the future. What about this idea of um, trying to protect kids from this information uh, is that's something that parents should be thinking about today? I mean, I think it is to some extent. You want to do your best to make sure they're not seeing um, all of the proliferation of videos that are out there of what happened. We know that watching a video of a traumatic event, um, this came from the 9-11 event, actually, that people who watched um, those individuals who jumped out of the building, they actually had a higher rate of PTSD than people who just heard about it on the news. And so it is important to monitor their video consumption to make sure they're not witnessing things. Um, it's unrealistic probably to think you can completely protect them from knowing this happened. It's, it's going to be talked about absolutely everywhere in the community today. Do you have any sense of how schools might be dealing with this event of yesterday? I assume that teachers are maybe really across the board of all the different grade levels are probably going to say something or am I wrong about that? No, I think you're completely right. I know that as a parent, I received an email from our superintendent last night Wow, Mm -hmm. um, that was very, um, uh, really summarized what happened, expressed condolences, and really ended with a a message of positivity that we will get through this together. And I expect that all of these school counselors and social workers have all been talking since yesterday about how they were going to approach this today. Going forward, um, Amanda, what are some signs of anxiety that parents might want to look out for as they as they monitor their kids every day? Yeah, I mean, I think that you will see um, some minor things in the next few days. Probably what we're most concerned about is when it extends. That's when we're looking to, hey, this might be somewhere we need to reach out for more professional help. And the number one thing to look for with kids is their inability to do their normal life. So if they're having trouble getting to school, paying attention in school, they don't want to hang out with friends, they don't want to go to their soccer practice, um, things that would be outside of the norm for them, uh, that would be a sign that, hey, maybe it's time to, to reach out and see if we need some more help. Is there value in reminding kids that there are lots of good people still left out in the world? Oh, yeah. Got to go back to Fred Rogers and you look for the helpers. And I think one of the excellent things about the events that happened yesterday was that not only were there loads of professional helpers there, there were also so many just everyday citizens 
that were helping to console children who were lost or scared. They yeah. were provi- uh, providing life-saving medical services with CPR. Um, and even there were uh, quite a few stories about the Chiefs players uh, consoling kids. And so I think that really emphasizing that it doesn't even have to be somebody who does this for their job. The people in our community love each other and care about each other and yeah. take care of each other. I think I can say this safely. Chris Ketch from Channel 9, we were talking before the show and. I was pointing out that, you know, the older I get, these things hit me a lot harder than they used to. And it it surprises me. I used to cover police and it was just one story after another. But maybe you get a little bit older, a little more reflective and it hits me in a way it's not hit me before. And Chris said he feels the same way. Yeah, I think that's really true. I mean, as we get older, our perspective and our experiences really shape how we understand things that happen to us. And so we look at previous things that we've experienced, and we know what that might look like five or 10 years down the road for somebody who experienced a traumatic event like this. And so the more experiences you've had like that, where you've seen the longer term effects, it is. It's going to hit you harder and and differently. And that's going to be true for our kiddos who are there. They have increased understanding as they grow older when they have their own kids. They may have anxiety taking their own kids to a parade. Isn't that something? Amanda Davis, uh, she's Director of Therapy Services over at St. Luke's Crittenden Children's Center. Thanks so much for your time today, Amanda. I appreciate it. Thank you, Steve. And joining us now is the Reverend Shanna Stites. Uh, she's the senior minister at Community Christian Church at East 46th and Main Street, not so far from Union Station. Reverend Shanna, thanks for joining us today. Appreciate you taking some time. Morning, Steve. Well, on Super Bowl Sunday, you delivered a joyful sermon about remembering to be present when the confetti falls. <laughs> How does it feel now to reflect mm-hmm. back on that service today? We talked about that last night, actually, at our second Ash Wednesday service of the evening of the big pivot, you know. Mm -hmm. um, Is it a big pivot? Tell me about it. Right. It It was a big pivot. I mean, in a matter of moments, yesterday afternoon, I was watching one of the local stations and the pivot that the anchors who were live on that station were making in real time. And then our congregation having to do that at 630 last night and Um, I got a little emotional at one point of saying it feels almost too much to put these ashes on our forehead in this moment where we It was Ash Wednesday yesterday. Right. Yes. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, Ash Wednesday for the Christian community and um, a time of remembering our brokenness and remembering the brokenness of the world and taking a moment to um, confess um, that we are a part of that. But in the midst of that, that um, God shows up. And God is present. And yes, there is brokenness, but we are also beloved. And I think that was the biggest piece for me with our folks last night was saying, yes, we put these ashes on our forehead to remind us that, you know, we're, we can be a mess. The world can be a mess. Um, but we're also beloved. And I think somebody asked me, you know, where is God in this? And God is in the places um, in us when we show up with and for one another in goodness and kindness and um, taking care of one another. Uh, those are all of those places are, are for me, at least when God shows up. So yes, it was a it was a big pivot for us yeah, and will boy. be for us um, this Sunday as well. But it starts the first Sunday of Lent for us a, a time of introspection and how we want to live differently for ourselves and um, how we help to to do that, to make a better world for everybody. Reverend, when you say we are beloved, you're mm-hmm. meaning what by that? That God loves us no matter what. Mm-hmm. God is present to us no matter what. That's a core value for us that people of all ages, all abilities, and all identities can be known as God's beloved, um, and that we are made in the image of God. And in and in talking about that way, that um, being made an image of God makes us partners with God in um, showing up for love and compassion and and good works. And so for us, our pivot now is, um, obviously, we're a prayerful congregation, you know, but we aren't so much a thoughts and prayers kind of place. We're about, you know, so now what? You know, mm-hmm. we um, are already in conversation, even late last night, talking with our Justice and Mercy team. One of our core ministry partners is uh, Grandparents for Gun Safety yeah. here in town. They've been I, on the show. I was going to yeah. say, I know they've been on with you previously and taking a special offering for them because people, you know, folks are like, okay, so what can we do? Mm-hmm. And in situations like this, it's hard to know, but maybe that's one way in helping them, you know, get gun locks out there. Um, how are we? We have a member of our 
our Justice and Mercy team who, who is currently monitoring legislation on the Missouri side around some of the things, including access to guns in churches that's, that's wow. on the floor right now. So monitoring those kinds of things and keeping our folks abreast of that. Were you able to pivot last night yourself? And I, did you give a sermon last night? Were you able to talk about this in any way? Because that's working under deadline from my world right. for so many years. And you faced it yesterday. Right. Yeah, we just talked that there were so many unanswered questions still. I mean, we had just found out that the number literally had doubled like 30 minutes before we went in to our evening service. And just to say, we don't know all the answers. There's hard to make sense of this. And just providing people safe space or brave space, as Brene Brown says, um, to be fully present to whatever they're feeling and saying this is a safe space to do that, to be vulnerable. Um, And I think one of the challenges is finding those spaces in our modern society where we can be vulnerable and Mm -hmm. we can say, you know, I just need to sit here and cry and I don't need you to fix it. Yeah. I'm wondering if you know today, were members of your congregation at Union Station yesterday? Mm-hmm. Are, are you aware of that and, and dealing with that? I checked in. I knew from social media, from a picture, that um, one of our families was sitting um, on the North Lawn um, of World War I Museum. And um, so I checked in on them last night. We had other folks who were along the parade route, but not necessarily at Union Station. So um, checked in with them last night and uh, this morning. This yeah. morning as well. How are they doing? They're good. Um, they, you know, kind of like everybody else, um, shaken. And it, it's interesting, this one particular, it was three generations of their family. And the grandfather who was with his daughter and their kids, he's an active part of Grandparents for Gun Safety. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's for him a, a core value that that inspires him to keep working on that, I'm sure. I'm just wondering, you know, how do you think we'll be able to find joy again and be present, as you said this past mm-hmm. Sunday, after something as tragic as what we experienced yesterday? I think it's a it's a call to it can be a call to action for many of us. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I heard last night on the local news of people saying, you don't really think this can happen. And it can. You know, I, I know you were talking earlier about um, the gun violence in this city last year. And um, and so, you know, one of the things that, that we talked about last night in our confession was sometimes we get apathetic Mm-hmm. And and the sin of apathy in that, and that no, there are things we can do. But I think one of the things we're going to light our steeple of light, our iconic steeple of light at Forty Sixth and Main all weekend long. The one that shoots up. The one that shoots up into the skies. You yeah. can see from all over the right. city um, as a reminder, um, at least for us in the Christian world. One of the one of the core scriptures for us at community is that the light shines in the darkness, mm-hmm. and the darkness does not overcome it. And we are responsible, at least for our congregation, and the and way we understand the scriptures and our faith is that we have to be bearers of that light in the world. And so how do we do that? How how do we continue to do that? Um, You know, taking, uh, feeling like we're doing something with taking the the offering and things like that. Reverend, you mentioned the word apathy here. You've Mm -hmm. also talked about taking action. Well, it just seems to me that in so many ways, you know, people have tried to take action on this issue of of gun control for years and not gotten very far. That leads to apathy. That does. Absolutely. And so we can we can continue to to do that or or we can continue to make a commitment to to making change. And yeah, it's hard. It's a it's a balance. Well, that's the Reverend Shanna Stites. She's a senior minister at Community Christian Church. That's at East 46 and Main Street, not all that far from Union Station, just a number of blocks. Reverend, thanks for, for coming in and sharing your views. I appreciate it. Thanks, Steve. That's it for today. You've been listening to Up to Date on 89.3 KCUR. We'll see you tomorrow.